0: two on my block Packers podcast I'm your host Mike Wallet mine is busy with President's Day celebrations and so we'll be just uh we will going solo today but that's all right we got a couple of listener questions I'm, I'm excited to talk about some of the offseason stuff but first our sponsors can't for- forget about him betterline.ag basketball is back BetOnline nine remains your number one source For all your sports betting needs this season, you'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game treads at BetOnline.ag. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, esports, even golf. So head to BetOnline.ag and join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V. To receive rewards, bet online where the game starts. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, uh, and I'll probably mention it later as well, but that uh, if anybody who bet on the NBA All-Star game last night, I hope they bet the over. Um, what an atrocity that's turned into. Let's talk some Packer news first, though. I Bob McGinn is a guy that... <clears throat> is a guy that was uh how do i describe bob so bob was a guy that in i remember when i got there in nineteen ninety, he was kind of the guy that nobody wanted to talk to in the locker room he was a guy that was he kind of he made it a business of going after players and um certainly when as as i was struggling he went after me and rightfully so but i think the big thing with with bob and the thing that we kind of came to an agreement or 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 at least uh we, we found common ground on was that Bob was a guy that was really curious about learning more about the sport. And a lot of times what happens with, especially now, I think this is probably worse now than it ever has been, but because of the amount of people, uh, amount of access you have to, to stats in next-gen sports and all this, these non-contextual uh, analytics that we can pour out. There are a lot of people writing about the sport that might be writing something that's not necessarily true or attributing uh, factual information to these statistics that doesn't really contextually make any sense for the player. And so I think from a player standpoint, necessarily – like if you're playing bad, you're playing bad. And that's just – if a guy comes on and says you're playing bad, he's not talking about your mom or talking about like what kind of person you are. But if you say your performance is poor because of the way that you're performing on Sunday or any given day of the week, then that's fair game. That's part of the deal. That's why you signed up. you get a have thick skin to play you know, professional sports. I think with Bob early on, one of the things that you know, I personally had an issue with was like, hey, if you don't know what's going on on a particular play or you want to know – how we're playing, ask us like, we'll tell you most guys will be pretty honest with you. Like, man, I just got beat up today. I got my ass kicked or man, I had a great day or or something happened. We didn't make enough plays in this situation, but you know, it wasn't, you know, this, what happened on this specific play? It was third and eight. You gave up a sack. What happened? Like you can talk about it. Like I blew my technique. My sets were wrong. My hammer's wrong. He beat me on his, you know, signature move, whatever. But we want to have that interaction because it's not like we think we can create the narrative, but we want to control the narrative as a, as a, as an athlete, you want to control the narrative as much as you can. So one thing that, that I really came to, we had a mutual respect for one another, I think was over, over the course of time was that Bob understood that if he just came to us and asked us very simple questions, like what happened on this play? What happened on this game? Why, you know, what's the, what's the, what's, what are, what are people seeing, but not understanding why, are, why are we struggling in this area? We'd usually just tell. So I think Bob retired a couple months ago or excuse me, maybe a couple years ago now, but, uh, he came out and said. That the Packers are "quote unquote" disgusted with uh, Rodgers, and they're looking to move on. And uh, the timing obviously is perfect because he's going—he was going into this retreat or this darkness retreat or whatever it is. Um, it doesn't make sense. I'll go back to it all. And so, so top Bob comes out and say that. Another that we we know well from back in the day, Tom Silverstein, jumps in and. Had some more, more commentary about, I think it's, it's time people inside the building think that it's time for Aaron to go. Um, I'll just keep going back to what I've been saying this whole time. Like if, if Jordan Love was the guy, um, maybe he's the guy now, but he wasn't certainly wasn't the guy the last couple of years. Otherwise they would, they would have made this last, like you would have tolerated this last off season if you didn't think. That you know, Rogers gonna give you the best chance to win. If they think it, at any point, if it's 50-50, if it's a coin flip, as far as the best chance to win games, or if they just think flat out they don't have the team to win a Super Bowl, then you know maybe it is time to move on. But otherwise, Aaron Rodgers, if you know, if he's dedicated to playing football, then he's gonna give you the best chance to win because he's the first ballot hall of famer and one of the most talented guys we've ever seen play, you know, grace the sport. Certainly one of the most maybe the best quarterback ever to play at 1265 Lombardi. So all of this you got you gotta take it with a grain of salt, right? Um what really stood out to me was that Aaron Jones came out and said, if we're going with Jordan, Jordan's ready. And I I don't remember the exact way that he phrased it, but he basically just said, or Jordan, Jordan love is the guy. If he wants, if it's, if it's his time, we are ready. We've proven himself. We see him every day in practice and we really believe in what he's doing. That carries a lot of weight because, especially because he just resigned. Now I'll just tell you from experience. I went into a, a off season. I went to the Carolina Panthers and it's the team that I, I had two teams that I really wanted to go check out. They both had really good defenses. Carolina Panthers being uh, being, you know, one and one A. So I end up going to Carolina and you're, you know, you go through this whole deal, you're you're free agent, you're sitting at dinner with the offensive coordinator, the head coach and blah 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 blah, blah and they're all kind of it's all it's almost it might as well be scripted, right? Cuz it's not it's not even real. You're not having real conversations. It's all surface level. It was it was it was not looking back, it was not the conversation that really needed that I really needed to be having because I wanted to know a lot more, you know, uh, as far as the nuts and bolts of how we're going to run offense, what the expectations were. I didn't know I was going to a team where there was kind of like aspirations to win a Super Bowl, but really, really low aspirations from an offensive production standpoint as a defensive led football team. And, you know, John Fox was the head coach. Coach at the time, if his his idea was if we scored 18 points a game, we should go 16 and 0 because his defense was going to be so good. So from an ambition standpoint, Dan Henning, who got a lot of flack and ended up getting fired, and you know back in the day we all get frustrated because the play calling was so bland, but we didn't realize at the time it was bland because the coach wanted it to be bland. He didn't want to take risks. He thought his defense could win the game. That's really tough if you're a guy who thinks he's you know the best player at his position and trying to prove something and make a name for himself in this league and wants to play on really good offenses. So. The reason I, I, I say all that is when you are in these different environments, it's difficult sometimes to translate what's actually happening within the building, what's being said amongst the players. And when Aaron Jones is re-signing this deal, for example, when I got there, it was like, I signed my contract. I'm thrilled to be there. And one of the reasons I'm thrilled to be there, aside from their defense is Steve Smith who's one of the best teammates. You know, he's, I mean, he's, all this talk about Steve, man. Steve is the ultimate competitor. He's probably the most competitive dude I've ever been around in my life in anything. And I loved him, absolutely loved him. And I remember like the first day I, I walked out, I stepped out on the on the grass for the first time. One of the coaches, I won't name his name, was like, hey, you're here to cancel him out. And I was like, and they pointed over Steve because Steve's got a big mouth and you know he's got a lot of opinions. And I looked at him and I go, And I just told the coach, I go, dude, he's like the reason I'm here. Like, you shouldn't have said that. That was a mistake. And uh, if anybody knows our history in Carolina, it was kind of all downhill from there. But but regardless, I'm interested to see if there was anything said at the table with Aaron Jones as they're negotiating. Like, hey, is it cool if Jordan goes forward, you got to have our back. Right, you got to say that you got you got to go out there, and, and maybe he believes in Jordan, maybe he doesn't. I'm just saying it's super interesting just to see the timeline of this whole thing. Again, I'm not saying anything about Aaron Jones, I'm not saying anything about Jordan Love. I'm just saying I know what goes on behind closed doors, especially when you're negotiating. How's all this work, right? Another thing that happened this off uh, this today, Monday, is that there's uh, seven player contracts that are voiding. And so, you got, uh, and so what this means is if they're getting voided, if you haven't restructured them by now. You basically go dead money. So there's dead money is the amount of money that you cannot recoup. So just it's a hit against the cap. So in this case, it's seven players. It's $16 million. Adrian Amos, Dean Lowry, Jaron Reed, Randall Cobb, Mercedes Lewis, Mason Crosby, and Robert Tunyon. All guys who contribute to this team. All guys that you could make the argument that should be back in some capacity next year. And they're all now free agents. They're all available to either. We can re-sign them, but that money's gone. So that money that you lost—if you lost two million dollars on Mercedes Lewis or whatever it was—and you resign him, that money's still gone. Whatever you whatever you pay him now this year is another hit to the cap. As I look at that group, Mercedes Lewis is timeless as far as I'm concerned until he decides that he doesn't want to play anymore. He's he's on the team. Um, I've talked about Robert Tunyon as far as his—I think his ability to. improve. Prove the part of, you know, kind of the worst part of his game last year. And I think he's only going to get better from that ACL recovery and hopefully even become a kind of a dominant tight end position, you know, receiving guy who can also get, gets his, hand, get his hands dirty. So I, I they're probably looking for some sort of upgrade there, whether it's a, a free agent upgrade that, you know, there's some really good players out there, Dalton Schultz being number one right now, or they're looking at a guy, you know, you, you see Kyle Pitts come out come out last uh, two seasons ago for Atlanta, and you go, well, God, if, if we can pick up a guy like Kyle Pitts, it's, even though he's not really a tight end, it's like a Travis Kelsey type, maybe even more so. It might be worth it, right? Um, Adrian Amos is the big number here. He was counting almost $8 million against the cap, so that's dead money's gone. Adrian Amos, the fact that they didn't do anything is kind of interesting because you think they might have you know, th- thought about resigning him. Um, when you look at these positions, though, safety, defensive line, wide receiver, tight end, k- and kicker, these are all positions that you, I think if you look at any any draft, they're, they're looking to draft, and there's certainly some people available at the, on the free agent market. Um, there's some huge names. Obviously, you think about uh, Deron Payne at, at defensive tackle for the for the Washington Commanders. I don't think he gets out, but there's some big names and out there. I just talked about the tight ends and and certainly the safety position. We talked about Gardner Johnson maybe being the first guy that you would take off the board at the free agent position out of Philadelphia, just just playing the Super Bowl. Um, there's some good guys I don't think we're going to get any of those guys but you can just you know this is that time of year where you got to make some tough decisions uh all these guys have been good pros and good guys for the Green Bay Packers you'd like to I, I'd love to see Jaron Reed come back I thought he had a great year uh I, I talk about Mercedes and and, and Tunyon. you know Mean Dean Larry they're probably gonna they're probably just looking at like we, we drafted last year with Wyatt and, and we're bringing another guy this year and and Dean had a really good year two years ago he had a, a kind of revert to the mean year last year, I think, as far as his numbers go, and, and production's really in the name of the game, at defensive tackle in, in, in this defense. The safety position's been an area of concern and because Darnell Savage isn't up and he's a first-round draft pick. Adrian might be on the short end of the stick on this one. Uh, and, and then Mason Crosby, maybe his time's run through, He's I think he's all-time leading scorer. And I don't know if he's got the field goal record. I think Longwell might have it as far as percentage, percentage made, but he's got a, a phenomenal career, he's a phenomenal human being, uh, f- philanthropist, etc. And maybe Robert Tunyon, you know, coming off that ACL, maybe you'd look at him and go, maybe it's time to go go find another offense to play in. And maybe you go out next year and hopefully you go to the Pro Bowl and get everything you want because again, just love the way he turned his game around, tried to turn his game around, is working on his turning his game around and then becoming a five tool uh tight end. Randall Cobb might be you know, might be the end of the end of the road. Depends probably largely on what Aaron has to say about whether he's coming back or not. But there's a lot of interesting stuff I think going on with Green Bay, even though we're early on in, in the offseason here. I wanted to talk a little bit more about really off-season goals and off-season planning and the way that players, you talk about the kind of veterans, how they go into the off-season and think about, all right, I just went through this, you know, now 17-game grueling season, the Super Bowl's over. A lot of people will just assume because the Super Bowl's over, that's when guys start working out. And that's not necessarily true. Everybody does it differently, you know if you're out in the first round, if you're not even in the playoffs, then you're, you should push that whole schedule back by the accordion amount of weeks. But generally speaking, you know, like what I would do is, you know, if we lost on Sunday and it was the, you know, the playoff game, then usually you'd pack the car Monday. You'd, you'd have your, your kind of your exit meeting with the, with the green Bay Packers, the Carolina Panthers, the Seahawks, and you, you'd go through that. And we would bounce out, um, On Monday night, we'd drive all night and uh, we'd get to Las Vegas or San Diego, depending where we were living at the time. We got to the West coast the next night uh, on, on Tuesday. And I'd be at the gym, not like going nuts, but you'd start working out again, you know, Wednesday and just kind of, it's just part of your day, right? Like it's, it wasn't like a, you're not on a schedule or routine or anything. That's just literally, this is how we live. And so you weren't trying to go bang out, you know, 500 pound squats or anything like that, but you are just kind of going through the process, getting your body feeling better. You want to make sure everything feels on the up and up. I was very lucky until I blew up my shoulder. I wasn't really hurt going into like playoff games that often. I know I had the broken hand and you have a couple you know, bumps and bruises, but I wasn't, there, there was very rarely a situation where I had to like re until the end of my career where I had to rehab something and then start training. So there's a couple of things that you have to do as a, as a pro now. And I think, I think it really opened my eyes later in my career because it's not something we did earlier in my or earlier in my career. Excuse me. The camera got messed up there. Let's see if we can get this right. All right. The first thing that a pro ne- needs to do is really sit down and maybe you need to take a week off. Maybe you just need to clear your head. You need to get away from it. Maybe the, the, the situation's really, really intense and people handle that stress and everything in, diff- in different ways. Maybe you need to leave the country. Maybe you need to just leave the state. Maybe you need to, you know, go put yourself in a hotel for four days, whatever it is, but you take your time, you clear your head and you just got to get kind of excited about doing something again. Right. And at some point during that off season, during that early part, I think you really need to evaluate how your season went. And maybe that's during that downtime the thing that helped me the most was something that happened at the very very end of my career a coach finally gave me for 10 years of my career a coach never gave me any feedback at the end of the year except for like good job bad job but no like itemized this is what you need to work on these are this is film of good and bad this is you know strength wise blah blah blah." there was just nothing there and and it was because teams operate in silos so the strength coach doesn't talk to the position coach doesn't talk to etc and they don't really have necessarily they don't like that that's not where they value their time their time is spent like putting together you know what our third nate reel or like maybe they're looking for a new job and they're doing something else but that player development piece was never really there never and it's not i'm not putting this on anybody that's just how it is it's i don't think it's any better now but that's that's guys like me like right now i just got done putting tapes together for all my guys right you put tapes together you put your notes you put hard numbers on things and process all process based movement but when I got to my last year, uh, Mike Solari, my last coach, gave me a, a DVD of stuff he wanted me to work on, and we sat down and we went through a handful of them. And but he's, this is what you need to work on. Unfortunately, I had to retire, but it really stuck with me. Like, where were you my entire career before I went out and started looking for my own help? Because the first, you know, three four years of my career, we've talked about it before, when I was struggling, like I didn't really know uh, where to. Where, where, what exactly I need to work on? Like, you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. Unconscious incompetence. I know that sounds ridiculous because you're a pro, but that's really how it is. A lot of these guys, and especially even the young guys now that I go and work with, it's um, because of the, the systems they run in college, because they the, the way they've been cobbled through, through high school, like they, you don't know how to solve your own problems necessarily, but you don't, it's just one of those things where like, you don't know how to tie together like strength conditioning movements with like best practice on the field. And if coaches don't know how to do that, they're not gonna do a lot of this work that I'm talking about right now for you. So it's so imperative from a from a player standpoint that you get in there and you say, okay, I need to work on my initial footwork. I need to work into my body position into contact. I need to, I'm not identifying external cues or keys. I'm not reading the quarterback size. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not identifying coverages fast enough. I don't rotate fast uh, my my rotation pre-snap and post-snap is not where it needs to be. Depending on your position, there's gonna be things you need to work on. And you know, for me, it's always you got to be able to write those down and and ha- and then so you start formulating this plan. So while you take that time off, maybe when you start getting back to the gym and just start kind of pounding around with the iron a little bit, you start thinking about from a mental standpoint, from a football IQ, from a physical standpoint, do I need to get stronger? And do I need to get faster, more agile, more mobile? Is my ankle mobility good? Is my Are my hips good? Am I staying strong? Is it, do I feel the same throughout the of course of the entire season? Is there an endurance problem that I need to deal with? all of this stuff leads to a plan an off-season plan and for me you know some people break it up into you know four month cycles eight or four week cycles eight week cycles 12 week cycles you know as far as like attaching your workout sessions with your film sessions with your with your field work and all all of this stuff when we go through it has to be formulated otherwise you're out here just you know you're like a jog chasing the car like the joker said you don't know what to do when you find, when you catch it the evaluation that these these individuals can get from a third party whether it's somebody like me whether it's a, a hopefully their coach or somebody on their staff or the accumulation of staff you know when i was in miami actually when i was working there i don't know if i have the, the folder here but we used to make player evaluation folders and It was initially started my second year there and we'd go through and we'd go from a technical standpoint, this is what you need to work on. We'd go talk to the team psychologist and we'd have them put something in there that was confidential, Um, the physio, the the athletic trainers, the strength conditioning coaches, and then you'd go to the coaching staff and the coaching staff would have something to fill out and hopefully attach a couple clips and they could go and these players would have this end of the year platform to look at and go, okay, this is, this is literally the blueprint for how I get to where I want to be next year. And that is right now, I think the thing that is most lacking, maybe not only in the National Football League, but all sports is just this clear direction from all these different third parties that have your best interest in mind, right in the offseason, at least right to go out and improve your play on the field directly improve your on field performance. And that is uh, so, so important. And whether it takes you two days or four weeks before you really get in back into the swing of things and more, maybe you got a you got a scope you got to clean up your knee or in your elbow or whatever before you get back into the swing of things you need to have that and have a so now you start planning out all right i got mini camp here i got OTAs here i got you know this this big training training camps coming up in at the end of july i can take my you know, I want to take my my wife to vacation here. I want to take my kids to Disneyland over there. You can plan all this stuff out, but you have a counter, you have a routine, you can start this every day. And now you're present in all these opportunities, all these opportunity sessions for yourself, your, your, your weight room, your, your film study, maybe you're meeting up with other players and working one V ones, like all this stuff is so valuable, but just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Like, yeah, you can do it. But it's so much more effective if you put yourself in a position to be successful every single day by just knowing what you're trying to accomplish. So hope that makes sense i mean that's this is like this this is when you're the green bay packers and you're looking at these guys and you see guys some guys make huge jumps from season one to season two why well they're usually the ones working the hardest they're usually the ones down at like house at athlete down in florida with brandon marshall's crew you know working their butts off like KJ osborne the guy we brought on the uh the scene from minnesota last year he made a huge jump in production last year like it's not a coincidence that he's down there with the best receivers in the league working their tails off in the in the hot miami sun getting better every single day so Hopefully, a lot of the guys that we're talking about—the Green Bay Packer guys that we we'll want to see make those huge jumps, those rookie second-year guys, even veterans who have an opportunity to get better, get stronger, get faster—you know, kind of revitalize their career. These are great opportunities right now to sit down and figure out what it is I need to do to get better. What do I need to do and improve? How am I going to make my life better, my team better? How am I going to make my career the what I want it to be? Let's go to some player. Uh, excuse me. Let's go. We've got some fan questions. So. Uh, the first fan question is from, from Brian. Brian says, uh, the hotshot college quarterbacks like, five, okay. So he's ta- I think he's talking about Bryce young and, uh, <laughs> and Bryce Young's only five foot eight. Um is that a, i guess he's saying is that a problem I, I heard somebody said on ESPN today they like made it, they like liking him to Steph Curry I like i don't think that's even close I think Steph Curry's like 6'2" or 6'3" but i think the game he's probably talking about game the way he can, it can change the game look um it, i would be a, it would be a red flag for me if your quarterback was i don't know if he's 5'8" or not but it would be a red flag if he's 5'8" it it would be a, a huge a huge flag for me if it, if he was 5'8" um just because i don't know how much muscle you can pack onto that frame and you are gonna get hit in the league. And so you you could have this generational talent that can't stay healthy. And that would be it would obviously be a huge issue, right? Um, we got Nick Nelson here, says, Josh Myers and John Runyon are both young guys who have shown flashes and even had good stretches of play, but they're sorely lacking in consistency. At what point as a player do you find yourself executing with consistency? And what should be the expectation for though? Okay. So this is a great question. First of all, as many of you know, like I got. Bench. I was playing so bad my third year. So I, my first year, I didn't play at all. Second year started. Started the third season at left left tackle. I had no technique, and we we'll, we go through that in detail why all of these things happened. But I made some bad choices as far as um, who I was listening to, what I was paying attention to, what I was prioritizing, and it wasn't much technical mastery. Uh, after that, when I started pr- make, uh, like take ownership of your career and and start owning all of this process of becoming your best, then you start playing better. And that's when you find consistency. So what I would point to is, you know, Stanovich left the room, and they brought in somebody else. Buckus, and it doesn't matter if they're both good coaches, but you're hearing different voices. It's like when you see a quarterback, and they go through four different coordinators, and they suck, and everyone's like, oh, they suck. It's like, no, they had four different coaches, man. Like, what if their second one was good? And then the third one was terrible. Like all these coaches aren't great. And all these coaches might be teaching like, especially in offensive line rooms, the fact that you have so many coaches teaching different techniques and they're not based on like best practice movement is asinine. Like if you think about it, there's there's a kind of a best practice way to move. We're, we all have basically the same bodies. And so if you're teaching different stuff and you can't show me why mechanically yours is better than the next guy or the last guy, then I don't know what we're doing. And I think a lot of players have a hard time because their coaches want us want them to do a certain way and it doesn't really make sense with how their body actually moves i'm not saying that's happening with these guys i'm just saying when you get that turnover i think that doesn't help um year three or four is where you should see some more consistency and it usually happens because they have taken it upon themselves to kind of take ownership of their careers whether that's finding outside help um, whether that's just being uh, a little a little more studious with their film film study on themselves, being more self-critical or objective, we'll call it. A lot of that just happens naturally because they're getting to that age where like, all right, if I want to make this a career, like it was fun, you're, it's exciting, everything's going on in the National Football League. If I want to make this a career and be the best version of me, I'm going to have to like tighten the screws up a little bit. And I have to you know, develop some routines. I gotta create some habits. I have to be consistent in the way I behave off the field so I can be consistent about the way I behave on the field. Um, I saw a great thing about, uh, from, from, uh, from Chip Kelly, by the way. Uh, Chip Kelly, had, he was at the Las Vegas Coaches Association. And he, and he was saying something about how you need to make sure your players understand what's happening. And just think about this in every, whoever, is listening in any walk of life, when you're teaching somebody, they, you know there's, there's great sayings like, you. Are, well, first of all, what kind of learner are you? Are you auditory, visual? Are you a kinesthetic learner? Most athletes are kinesthetic learners, meaning they kind of got to move through it to do it. But if you're not asking the right questions of the people you're trying to teach, if you're not trying to have them teach it back to you, then how do you know that they're actually picking this information up? And I think that's one of the bridges as an athlete, You need to be able to understand what kind of learner you are and then make the adjustments necessary for the kind of room you're in. You know, that is an absolutely critical part of this whole deal. One thing I wanted to talk about this week um, was very simply, what is the NFL going to do about salaries? Because right now, the salaries are getting high enough where it's turning it, it could very quickly turn into basketball where guys are making enough money we're trying we're seeing it a little bit now where guys are making enough money where they are going to start dictating who is on what team where they go demanding tra- we talked about you talk about the nba right now and kevin durant Kyrie demanding trades and how he's coming out and saying it's good for the league because it gets eyeballs and it's like not all attention is good attention despite that old you know that old saying from the media, all attention is good it's not all attention is not good attention. Um, I would be very interested to see the National Football League come together and have some sort of transfer fee. In other words, money, this happens in, in soccer. Money, if you draft somebody and develop them, when they, if they want to leave before their contract is up, you can sell them to another team and you get paid as a team. So player development all of a sudden becomes a monster priority. Okay. And I know the emphasis is on winning in the National Football League. I get it for most teams, but those who can develop talent can now make additional revenue by selling that. So let's say, for example, um, somebody who does is not on the, you know, so uh, well, Aaron Rodgers is an easy one. So right now you get compensation, right? For for trading this player, you get draft compensation. Now imagine instead of draft compensation, these teams, because it's a little bit different economics, right? Because of the way that we have salary caps and and we have, uh, you could, you, you'd have to loosen some strings on salary caps. You'd have to loosen some strings on who's bringing in dollar for dollar on all the merchandise and everything that you, that you have. But the idea of being able to develop a guy like an Aaron Rodgers, and then say, I want $50 million for him. In addition to whatever you're going to pay him, you're going to rework his contract. So he'll, he'll transfer to you. You can rework his contract and come up with a new deal for him. So you don't have to maintain the same contract that we had. That might not be cat friendly to you. So you can rework a brand new deal right now. But you're going to pay us one way or another. Your owner is going to pay our owner $50 million or what? $100 million, $200 million, whatever the number is. And then that team, the New York Jets, whoever it might be, is going to say the impact that that player has over, to our bottom line economically is worth $250 million. We'll pay you $200 and we'll give them a $50 million deal. And all of a sudden, the priority of developing talent goes up. And therefore, at least in my mind, this is a very simple A plus B equals C deal. I know there's a lot more factors in it. But in my mind, now, the quality of play is going to continue to increase. And you could even start looking at this as the XFL or the USFL. because I I stay away from college, although college is going to change. But the XFL and the USFL, now, if they're getting paid for the development job they do with players by the National Football League, so just, let's just take it back and say, let's just say every team has a feeder team or every two teams have the same feeder team. So there's a team in San Antonio, I think, down, down the street from me. And if let's say the, the Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys can both pull players from that XFL team, and now the XFL ownership of that team gets paid a transfer fee because they picked up those players. So not only do they get the, play, the talent, they, they get paid for developing that talent directly because they're winning on field games, but they get also, they get paid at the back end when that guy leaves, if he's still under contract to buy out that dude's contract is going to cost you, I don't know, 10, 20, $50 million. Like what a great way to run business because now everybody's priorities are aligned, the player's going to get better. The quality of the game is going to get better. And now these teams that, that are doing it the right way and really the right way. What I say that is like really the right way by the players, right? Because they're really trying to develop talent if they do that now you're going to see a financial windfall and it kind of skirts around maybe let's say just the salary cap right it's it, it affects more than just the salary cap there's a there's a different level of economics at play um yeah i you know it's just like you watched you watched the the nba and you just try to think about like last night and you, the, you the the all-star game is is terrible and you know obviously the the pro bowl just went away from that And you see the, the, the trade talk, the transfer, the trade demands and how that could be quote unquote good for the sport. And you just try to look at like, you don't want to get too far down the road where this is what we're going into. Right. You know, you try to head this stuff off as much as possible and what economic model makes the most sense for this league. They're certainly doing well right now. It's the number one sport in the, in the, in the country. And, and far as TV ratings, everything's, everything's going great. But when you look at them constantly trying to make rule changes, when you look at, Trying to uh, uh, change it so we score a much offensive points. We have more games. The player safety is kind of a catchphrase, but it's not necessarily true. Uh, let's talk about the rugby. The rugby's invaded the National Football League first with tackling, which has been, I think, net net very positive. And listen, I played rugby at a very competitive level for four years after I was in the National Football League, so I know rugby pretty well. I understand I've taught tackling, um, rugby. That scrum that the Philadelphia Eagles use, the tush push. That is literally a rugby scrum. And they're thinking about getting rid of it because, not because it's dangerous per se, they're gonna say it's because of danger, but because it's not aesthetically pleasing and really defense can't stop it. And of course there are ways to stop that, but you know, I think they were 36 out of 39, some ridiculous number. And I don't know that the NFL wants to see that because I don't know if the NFL wants their players taking that risk. Uh, if there, if there is in fact right now, I've never seen a guy get hurt on short yardage. Um, but rugby has seen a ton of people get hurt in scrums and they've actually changed the scrum rules to where before you were, you know, basically six inches apart and batted heads or, you know, went shoulder to shoulder on, on, on the snap of the, the release of the ball. And now you actually line up touching one another. So they don't have that immediate contact. So they've changed rules for the safety of the sport. I don't know what we're going to do, but as we continue to evolve the game, you continue to try to make the game. uh, You're trying to you're trying to do everything you can to get more people to watch the game, whether it's who's the halftime show to the commercials to uh, the safety initiatives to uh community-sponsored events everything's to to grow the game to grow the game to grow the game to get more eyeballs get more dollars and if this if this is one of the things that's detracting from it then so be it but what would be better to grow the game than to develop a pipeline that actually paid those lesser teams to develop the talent that's going in and you go let's college well college isn't working very well like that college model is going to blow up right now the the ncaa has proven that they're corrupt and the college model is going to blow up so what are all other alternatives this might be one of them fair enough The last thing I want to do this week is a get off my lawn. We haven't done it in a while. Uh, I'm going to start off with this because I'm an ex-offensive lineman. And the Green Bay Packers, the first day I showed up for the Green Bay Packers, I had to do at least 15 one-on-ones. I was the only person who did one-on-ones that day. were in full pads. Gilbert, Santana, Reggie. Vaughn, Vonnie, Billy Lyon, Jonathan uh, Holiday I got my head beat in by every single player multiple times in one round now I go on uh, you go on Instagram or you go on Twitter and you go go to maxlevels.com max preps you see these all these lineman camps and they're doing these no padded one-on-ones and guys are getting thrown around and some of them aren't wearing t-shirts some of them are wearing these like string t-shirts there's no helmet, there's no pads, nothing to grab onto. And these guys are getting wrestled down, hip tossed, horse collar, all nods, you know, uh headlocked or they're getting stiff arm in the face and get knocked over and these companies, these high school, these companies that are promoting high school sports are showing these ridiculous um outtakes that are being celebrated, being retweeted, I'm getting You're basically getting all these eyeballs for stuff that is quite frankly, not even, it's not football and the professionals, like the pro, the guys who get paid to do this, don't do reps without gear on. Well, for like safety, number one, obviously, but number two, like you can't even perform a lot of the moves. Like if you can't grab onto pads, then as an offensive lineman, like, what do we, I don't even understand how you're supposed to pass block, just bear hug him. I mean, you would have a defensive lineman would have to be really, really bad. To be not wearing a shirt and I still can block him, or wearing like a t-shirt that uh, can be torn or like very loose and I can still block him. They'd have to be pretty bad. And so a lot of the moves, a lot of things you're trying to execute, like you're it does, one, you're you're not in an advantageous position as an offensive lineman, but two, like the violence that you're dealing with is high enough if you're going to go live that you need to have you need to take care of yourself. And these these adult companies trying to celebrate these kids like. It's just it, it. really it's it's sad because you, the, those players aren't getting better. Um, they're celebrating for the wrong reasons, uh, and then you just see it doesn't transfer because these a lot of these kids like you don't see them again, you know. And I'm not like it's not a put down, but like that stuff doesn't work in real life. The stuff that you're doing on those on those on those videos, your stuff that was doing in those camps, like they don't it doesn't work. Like all that stuff doesn't work. I saw the uh, Ant Man movie, Quantum Mania, and I just have to say, Marvel's losing me. Um, I wish I had AG here for this conversation, but yeah, he's, they're, 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 losing me. It's just not a, the, there's too many, there's too many things going on in that universe right now that I can handle. You know, I, 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 I gotta go back and, and, uh, they gotta like isolate like the Eternals and I think they're coming out with X-Men now and whatever's going on in this, you know, it's just a lot. It's, it's a lot for me. Uh, I don't want to spoiler it. It just wasn't, it, it was a very, very average, but I give it a C. And then the last thing I want to talk about real quick. I don't understand. Somebody's got to explain to me the, the allure of mock drafts. Someone's got to explain the allure of mock drafts to me because that seems like, an inc- like uh, personnel groups do an incredible, well, they have an incredibly difficult task of trying to project what this player is going to look like, given the resources that you have in your building. And so you think about that actual information right you think about let's say i need a defensive end and there's a guy that's there's two guys right first round draft, i'm a 10th pick in the draft first round draft. Pick. there's a guy that's small undersized fast um needs technique work and there's uh there's a six foot five 285 pound guy runs a four seven he's not slow um and he's a great run stopper and he needs to work on his passport game. It's like, there's so many questions you have to ask inside the building. Number one, like who's developing him in the building? And when we speculate on all this stuff, it just, it seems, I don't know why people get excited, I guess, because Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper, like they could talk, they could spit off all the stuff they want to about the guys. Like, and they could be, they could be right about the, the prospect. But as far as these mock drafts and like the Packers are going to pick up somebody, I guess I just don't get it because like, the amount of information you would actually need to know to understand who they should be bringing in is more than is available for public information. If that makes sense. But, Anyways, uh, listen guys, I think we're going to do one show a week. I'm going to do a block party tomorrow and focus on some offensive and defensive line play. I think we're going to do one show a week for a couple of weeks until we get a little bit more information about the off season, about the combine, except to the draft, et cetera, that we just talked about. We'll we do our, having said the mock draft thing, I don't get, um, maybe a will talk me into one. I don't think he's really into them either, but we certainly are on about, uh, getting our bet online and and, and making some bets about this year's draft. So anyways, uh, you can find me at Mike wall 68 on Twitter process to perform on Instagram. And, uh, obviously these shows are on a process to perform channel on on uh on youtube so thank you to our sponsor but online ag subscribe rate review us all that stuff on youtube and uh you guys have a great oh i got one more comment here exactly mark says uh mark thank you mark dumb entertainment